Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope your first week of 2022 went all right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like, who am I kidding? I, <laughs> it was a dumpster fire in every possible way. <laughs> so, but at least we've had some really fantastic Bravo content. Um, one of which uh, was the Project Runway Housewives edition that came out this week. I don't normally watch Project Runway, but I watched this week uh, when the Housewives were on, and it was just such a delight. So for those of you who don't normally watch, you definitely should. I thought of all the women, Gina came across as the most kind and likable, but I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed Shannon Bedore. That was a shocker to me. Even Luann didn't annoy me. I mean, they all were pretty great, actually. So give it a watch and let me know what you think. Some breaking news from the beginning of this past week is that Steve Lodge is engaged to be married again, three months after him and Vicky broke up, and he's engaged to a 37-year-old school teacher in Orange County. He's 63. I don't know, like, Maybe I'm too judgmental, but it kind of creeps me out when people marry someone that could be their daughter or, I mean, even granddaughter. It's like, what are you? I don't know. It's ugh. And so soon after ending his engagement with Vicky, it's clear he just stayed with her because she was supporting his ridiculous run for governor of California, which was never going to happen. I don't know. And then Tom D'Agostino, Luann's ex, got engaged uh, on, I think, December 31st, which is his birthday, but it is also the their wedding anniversary from the day that they actually got married. So I thought that was kind of creepy and weird. What is it with these housewives choosing really awful men? Like, I know there's a lot of crappy guys out there, but I feel like they are so good at finding some of the crappiest, especially Vicky. I mean, from Brooks? Ugh. And then Steve Lodge? Like, I don't know. She, I think she needs to let other people pick men for her. I just don't think she is suited to pick them for herself. And I don't know. I want her to be happy. I want all these women to be happy. Another person that I really want to be happy is Raquel from Vanderpump Rules. She opened up about her breakup with James and how she knew at Thanksgiving when 
he wasn't getting along with her family and he's just so mean and can be very cruel and nasty. She just couldn't do it anymore. So she talked to her mom and made an exit strategy. And that, I don't know, that worries me that she felt and that her mother felt that Raquel needed an exit strategy, that she couldn't just break the news to James because his temper is so bad. And she says that they ended up having a conversation the night before the reunion when they were watching the last few episodes of the season, and it just kind of came out. And she said he took it pretty well, but I don't know. I really think James needs to do some serious work on himself, and I hope he learns from this experience and uh, doesn't turn into some sort of abuser or I don't know. Maybe he already is. That whole thing just makes me so sad. Um, Another thing that made me really sad was the fact that Mary did not show up to film the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City reunion. I just find it really disappointing whenever a housewife doesn't show up. They're contractually obligated to come. You know, they owe it to the rest of their castmates. It is a ensemble show. It's not just them. But looking back, Mary never seemed to want to be part of an ensemble. You know, she was filming a lot of scenes alone or one-on-one with Meredith, but she didn't seem to enjoy being with the group. And I don't know, I just don't think that this show is for her because I think she doesn't view herself the way that everyone else sees her on camera. She seems to have a reality Uh, in her mind that is divorced from actual reality. And watching her this past episode, when she was confronted about things that she had said that were offensive, and especially when it came to the Mexican thug comment, not only did she deny saying it, but she said that's not even in her vocabulary. She doesn't talk like that. And that, my friends, is the textbook definition of gaslighting. She is so good at it. She makes you question whether or not something actually happened, even though what happened is on tape and there is proof. She doesn't just say, no, I didn't do that. She goes so far as to saying, I couldn't do that because it's not in my vocabulary. And We've seen gaslighting on these shows before. Jen Shaw, you know, (laughs) saying, oh, I didn't actually send that message on Twitter, even though it's her Twitter account. But Mary takes it to a whole other level. And it it just makes me sad because I had um, kind of high hopes for her this season. And I don't know, I've, I've shared a lot on my Instagram, my thoughts on her, but it just seems like she is the person who has to constantly be in a position of authority and that she can't handle anyone else having any sort of authority over her or even being a peer because she's not willing to listen to anyone. She cuts off anyone that tells her something she doesn't want to hear. And she cuts out people from her life who question her. It's, I don't know. It's definitely not a healthy way to 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 live. And I don't know. I find it kind of interesting that she didn't show up to fight her battles in person, considering she was so confident as a keyboard warrior all week, you know, telling people to go jump. <laughs> like, What? Are you suggesting people should go kill themselves on Twitter? 
because that is exactly what Chrissy Teigen got dragged for, uh, rightly so. I just, I'm just so disappointed. Um, and I felt this way, you know, I was so disappointed that there wasn't a Real Housewives of New York reunion. I was so disappointed to hear that Ramona was one of the reasons why and that she was refusing to film the reunion. But, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't hold a reunion. And so there wasn't one for her not to show up to. But I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of at a loss. I think that we will get a really interesting season three. It sounds like they're going to start filming in a few weeks time because Jen Shaw's trial is uh, at the end of March and she's likely going away for a long time after that. So they need to get (laughs) those two months of filming in with her uh, before the trial. And I don't know, guys, what do you make of all of it? Do you think people are being too hard on Mary? Do you feel like she's being held to a different standard than other housewives? I just feel like it's tough when it's a season two. We haven't really had a lot of history of years with someone. So it's hard to to know what to make of it. There was only one other reunion before, and she was asleep for part of it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I am so excited about my guests today. They are two of the most fantastic women I have met in a long time. They are both authors from Minnesota. Um, who reached out to me and they love Bravo. So we chat Bravo, we talk about the novels that they've written, and uh, we just have a good old time. Listening back, <laughs> I realized I spent a lot of time talking. I don't know if I had too much coffee that day, but I was super chatty. So apologies for your hearing my voice a lot. <laughs> um, so we've got Mitra Ferrari and Samantha Specs. And Mitra is, I introduce her a bit um, during the episode, but she's a former member of production for the Oprah Winfrey show. Uh, she wrote a novel called All the Blues Come Through, and Samantha Specs is a clinical social worker, and she wrote the novel Dovetails and Tall Grass. So I have the links in the show notes to these books. You guys should definitely support these um, authors. They're amazing. The books are fantastic. I started reading one of them last night, and I am so excited to curl up by my fireplace and finish later this evening. As always, thank you all so much for listening. You have no idea how much I appreciate all of you. If you enjoy the podcast, go give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. If you have constructive criticism, my DMs are open. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Mandy Slutsker. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Stay safe out there. And guys, 2022, I swear it's going to get better. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. I am here with two guests who are from Minnesota, although one is based in Texas. They're also both authors of novels. I've got Mitra Ferrari and Samantha Specs here. How are you guys doing? Hi, Mandy. So great to be here. I am so excited to have you guys. Like, actual authors with books that I have. (laughs) Like, I have the physical book. I'm so excited. So, Mitra, I want to start with you. You are a former member of production at the Oprah Winfrey Show, which is yes. so cool. And this, it will be it will be on my tombstone. I tell everybody that I meet, I'm like, yeah, like in the 1990s. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, three seasons of her last show. Did she? If I'm trying to remember, I don't, I don't know all my. Oprah stuff, but did she ever bring her production team or people that work for her on a big cruise? She sure did. And I get that question a lot, whether I went and I sure didn't because (laughs) I was, I was an intern at that time. So I actually was answering all the phones and the emails while every single other member of the staff was in the Mediterranean on a cruise. And the worst part was is that at the time, Michael Jackson passed away unexpectedly. So like, it was like a crazy time for all of them to be gone. And then there's little old me, not on a boat, trying to figure all that out. That's wild. That was in June of 2009. Yes. I remember because I was living in Bangladesh. And when he died, it was a big deal in Bangladesh. And there was like, I think just one of his songs was just very famous there. And everyone was playing it. People didn't speak English, but they would play sing that song yeah billy jean oh no it was like (laughs) it'd be like on a rickshaw and there would be a guy with a radio blasting it and then i would think maybe they spoke english so i would try and then they would just like stare blankly at me like oh i guess you can kind of yeah get sing the song lyrics together (laughs) so your book is called all the blues come through and you describe it as a blend of chiclet and Greek mythology about a millennial who is able to grow these magical flowers. I don't want to give anything more away, but like what, I guess, compelled you to become an author? Yeah, I, um, I grew up uh, reading those really awesome, dystopic, um, young adult, angsty books like Divergent and Hunger Games and even Harry Potter. And I loved how that gave me like a huge escape when I was in um, my early 20s and even my teenager, teenage years. And so, you know, after I um, no longer worked for the Oprah show, when she had ended her show, I kind of had a loss of identity. And what I, I knew that I loved to do is I loved to read and I had a huge imagination. So I was like, well, why don't I try my my hand at writing. And so I always kind of lean toward that fantasy side. Um, but it definitely has more of like my sort of millennial voice to it. It's very um, snappy. It, there's a lot of pop culture repre- references. So I, I stayed authentic to myself, um, but still have that really whimsical, fun adventure. And it's such a great escape, especially right now when we're all trying to dodge Omicron and, um, we just can't even leave our houses right now. So it's like, it's kind of nice to um, have some place you can go in book form. <laughs> For sure. And I, I can't wait to read your book. And then Samantha, you are by training a clinical social worker, which I love because my mom was a social worker. And your mm. novel is called Dovetails in Tall Grass, which is inspired by the true story 
of 38 Dakota Sioux men who were hung in Minnesota in 1862, which I found out was the largest mass execution in U.S. history. And you say it's the powerful tale of two young women connected by the fate of one man. Um, tell us, like, tell me about yourself, how you decided to also become an author. Like, this is so cool. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think my career path has definitely been winding and varied. I originally started working out of undergrad in broadcast journalism and wrote for radio for the Minnesota twins, actually, for their shows, their pregame and postgame. And yeah, um, did all that. So I have always had kind of a little bit of writing in my work. And then I did more in my academic research for my master's program to get the clinical social work piece. And um, then I practiced um, doing outpatient and inpatient therapy um, with adolescents and adults. And that was a whirlwind of a time and a career and so much fun. And I got to work with the best people. Um, But I literally went from interviewing like Derek Jeter to sitting one-on-one in a seclusion room with a a little kid that had autism. So it's just like a very different um, interactions with people. And it just, I think, taught me a lot about life and humans and kind of, I think, what we all share, honestly, um, in our journey on this earth. And when we moved to Texas, my husband and I left Minneapolis and moved to Texas. He works in energy. So we made our way to Houston. Um, And I was kind of looking for a job and just felt like, oh, such a new and unfamiliar city. And he was like, well, why don't you write that one story you always talk about? And I was like, oh my God, do I talk about it that much? Because it had this one, this, what ended up being dovetails. It just had been in my mind and heart for such a long time. And I always had thought it was just kind of something I had kept to myself, but it must have come up a lot in different ways. And so it was finally, once I got that time and space in a new city that I I did probably the most isolating thing you could ever do when you move to a new place is sit down and write a book by myself for two years. So um, yeah, it took me a few years to write and then a few years to get it published. And here we are. That's so cool. How did you guys meet? And when did you realize you both were really into Bravo? Oh, gosh, I feel like we both were going into the parking lot and had our Bravo bumper stickers. (laughs) (laughs) We we actually were both um, a part of KDWB. Fallon um, is a a radio DJ in the Twin Cities. She's really big here and she has her own book club. And so um, Fallon had made me her June June, um, book club pick. And then I think Samantha was yours July or August. Yeah, I think it was August or September. Yeah, right. And then I think we just connected and I was like, Hey, I'm a Minnesota author. And so we just kind of met up and had lunch and it was like instantaneous, like, Oh, we're kind of best friends already. And then it was naturally, we talked about all of our favorite Bravo shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when you, I think you even have something about it on your website, Mitra and like some clever self-description you have somewhere. And I just, when I saw you were into Bravo and when we started talking about it, it's just kind of one of those instant things. Whenever you meet another Bravo fan out in the world, you're like, I get you, you get me it's mm-hmm. a connection. You have a shared yep. language and shared mm-hmm. history of jokes that go back like 15 years, which is just so incredible. So from one Minnesotan to two others, do you guys feel that Luke represents Minnesota well on Bravo? I I I don't I think he does. I think he's a pretty accurate portrayal of a <laughs> right? Minnesota guy and kind of what's like 
goofy and harmless in some ways and just so outdoorsy. Um, and even just the thought of him like building that massive igloo, um, the very first and the first episodes of Winter House. And I just even saw the circumference of that. And I was like, there's no way he's going to finish that thing. <laughs> you see him just chip away at it like episode after episode after episode. And he does not finish it. Um, but I think he's a pretty likable guy. I'm almost hopeful for him that he, well, I'm hopeful for him that he finds love on a Bravo show. I think that'd be so interesting to watch. I think we would all root for it. And I think the best thing that could happen to his stock is if he fell for someone and got his heart broken. I just think Bravo fans would like circle around him and lift him up because they already love him. Do you agree, Mitra? I, I have to say I'm one of those people, everybody tells me to watch Summer House and Winter House, and I, to this day, have not. But I, 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 I know I feel I feel the pain through the radio waves right now. <laughs> but um, I, so I, I don't have an opinion, but that was really dark. You want him to get him, his heart broken just so that we can lift him up. I love it. It's like a phoenix not, rising. I, I don't want him to, but I think that he's on the cusp of being, he's just kind of fallen into the background a little bit, I think. Um, he hasn't had a lot of traction and storylines in like a solid way. He's just kind of a, almost like a support character or a background character. And I think um, he could hit his next stride of like a Madison on Southern Charm, like just shoot him up and spit Ooh, him out. She would shoot him up and spit him out. She would for sure. Oh, I, I love that. I, I love think, Luke. I'm always... A, I, I, he just represents Minnesota to me so well. Like when he would drink a beer teeny and he's like so proud of everything and his social media is always lifting up local companies and, you know, doing things to support the lakes. And I don't know. I just think he means well. And I think because he went on the show without an agenda, he can be easily misconstrued by other people who go on the show with an agenda, such as Hannah Burner. And mm-hmm. so he's a little bit more passive in his behavior on the show because I think he's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Sure, I'll do that, which is how I feel like he's lived his entire life. And so it's just interesting to watch people like try and paint him as this fuckboy when he's very open and upfront about what he wants out of relationships with women. I don't think he's at all trying to be weird or like, I think he's like, Hey, I don't want anything serious, like right up front. So why would you go into it and think that it's different when he clearly communicated to you, you know? So I also just feel like I defend him to the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I do too. I totally agree with you. Um, so before we get into this week's Housewives episodes, just want to know what are you guys looking forward to most this year on Bravo in 2022? Oh, you know, I'll go first. I'm excited for all the trials. I'm so excited to see what happens with Jen. Um, and then also if we hear anything more about Erica Girardi, where is this going? I just saw that she's, um, selling hair extensions for $710. (laughs) Oh my God. I, so I assume that we're in dire straits and that <laughs> I think it's going to be a good year. I think it's going to be, be a good legal year. I do too. I wonder, I don't know what the whole process is. I should call my friend who is a um, federal prosecutor 
uh, for, yeah, the Eastern District of New York. So it covers Brooklyn and um, Long Island. But if she's found guilty, like, what's the next level? You know, like, she's sentenced, but is there, can she appeal? I don't, I don't know the legal system. I just know what she, this friend has told me about, you know, this is what the Southern District of New York is known for. This is how they prosecute. They only bring up cases that they feel they can win. And they are, like, really intense. She kind of described, like, the Southern District and the Eastern District as, like, Harvard versus Yale, kind of. Like, you know, each focusing on different jurisdictions and, yeah, and how the Southern District of New York is really known for financial crimes. So this isn't just going to go away. Because I feel like sometimes, you know, everything gets such big hype and then it just fizzles out and you hear nothing. But this sounds like... There might be something I that comes of it. I feel like the big to-do that everyone made about Erica Jane is actually, like, Jen Shaw is the big to-do. Like, Ooh. she is the, this is a serious, serious crime. It is so much more serious than anything that I have ever seen on these shows. Way, I think, more serious than what Teresa and Joe were in trouble for. Because this is a massive web of a telemarketing scheme and fraud scheme that goes across many different people, many of whom have already pled guilty and been sentenced to multiple years in federal prison already. And so they've got evidence. We don't know all the evidence yet because the trial hasn't happened. But that, you know, we'll find out in March. It's going to be pretty intense. And with Stuart, Pleading guilty. Pleading guilty. Oh, man. Which I knew would happen. I was like, he's going to, he is going to sing for them and he is going to roll over on her. And he did. And I think, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. But Jen just doesn't seem to, everyone seems to get how serious it is, except her, maybe. Mm hmm. I feel like she's like doing everything she can to put a very, she had a very nice light on her. If you've noticed in the last few episodes with her Mm -hmm. praying with her family and then this, this episode with the putting together the hygiene packs for the women. And I just feel like maybe next, next episode, she might be at like a no kill shelter and cleaning up after (laughs) dogs. I don't know. I just feel like we're on this tour of good conscience for her um so i do i i feel like she doesn't know what she's in for but yet she is trying to do some damage control i've seen she she isn't she isn't because i think she cares about what the audience thinks of her more than what the federal prosecutors think okay i'll give you that getting us to feel bad for her and think she's you know maybe caught up in the wrong scheme but then on her social media she posts pictures of herself in like expensive jewelry and a bikini her tagline is the only thing i'm guilty of is being amazing which is such a slap in the face of federal prosecutors they're watching this yeah. they're taking they're ta- notes. she's taunting them mm-hmm. she is she is do we oh know God. do you know where she would be imprisoned is is a federal prison, would that be in New York because that's where the charges are filed? Or how do you know how that works? I your actually say? don't know. And mm-hmm. I will inquire. I mean, I'm going to have to like, <laughs> be my interesting. Friend. 
So this is a friend I was in the Hamptons with in August, and I spent like two hours explaining to her the case, and she was explaining to me like the legal stuff behind it. And she read the indictment, pulled it up on her phone, and was like telling me like this is <laughs> this is pretty bad, you know. Wow. And she, I was like, what on earth? That this is so crazy. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know a lot of the stuff before she explained the whole federal court system. But I would assume that any federal prison could be like if she wants to be closer to her family mm. if there's a federal prison in utah that she probably could serve there i don't know if she has to serve at a specific federal prison mm-hmm. but mm. you know i could easily be wrong with that i'll have to watch and find out yes yeah. so okay so let's get into salt lake city since we're already talking about it i have to get your thoughts on jenny jenny is you know, confronted Mary finally in front of all the women about the comment that Mary made about Jenny's beautiful slanted eyes. And it seems to catch Mary very off guard. Like she thought she was making a compliment. Do you feel, I guess, how do you feel about Jenny's reaction? And do you feel it made sense to do it in front of everyone? Or do you think maybe she would have had better luck one-on-one, just, like, general reactions. I feel yes, like she, I, oh. oh, go you go ahead, Samantha. I was going to say, I thought her reaction was very fair and yeah. made sense. And her husband, his shock, Dewey's reaction when he was like, what did she say? That just felt like such an honest moment of just what a terrible, like, does she know what that means to our culture? I, I, I thought it was a fair reaction for Jenny. And also, I mean... I don't know if she was going to, if if educating Mary or trying to get Mary to have some heart to heart was the end goal. I think it was just fair for Jenny to react and say her piece and and call out what was wrong. And because Mary said it in front of the group, I think it was fair for um, Jenny to follow up and and say it in front of the group as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it was fine. I think it was, I think she should have brought it up in front of the group. If it had to do something with something a little bit more petty, fine, do a one-on-one. But I feel like she was putting her foot down. She's standing up for um, herself. And, and I think that she wanted to give a message to everyone that like, I know and educate people, you know, because I know that's Utah. I don't, there probably aren't, you know, it's super white there, obviously, And so I think she was using it as a learning moment. And I think she probably grasped that Mary didn't get it. And she wanted to see everyone to see that Mary did not get it. And then I think she was also surprised to see who else didn't get it as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was super telling everybody's reactions to Jenny and telling Mary off. Yeah, I really think it was also interesting how many people didn't necessarily hear it because I that's sort of my initial reaction, especially because Heather made a comment about Jenny looking like an anime character, which I didn't clock the first time I watched it. But when I rewatched it, I was like, ooh, there's something wrong about that. I don't know exactly what's wrong. And then yes. it, it took me a minute and I was like, wait, anime is based in Japan. She's Vietnamese. Like not all mm-hmm. Asians are the same. It's just a, right. a, a you know offensive thing. But I don't think everyone 
clocked it. And I think Jenny hung on to what was even more offensive to her, which was the slanted eye comment. Right. Now, why do you think Meredith is so defensive of Mary? Because she literally said, I wrote this down. She wrote, she wrote, she said, I don't know if it would be offensive, but I wouldn't say it. What do you mean you don't know if it would be offensive? She's literally telling Mary in right. front of all of you that it's offensive. So she's making some sort of platitude, sort of like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's offensive. I wouldn't say it. It's like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about, Meredith? Because Meredith was obviously so offended when Jen went off on her son about his sexuality. Mm-hmm. and But yet now she's not putting her foot down for another racially insensitive remark. I do not understand where her loyalty lives. Like, why is she blindly on Maggie's or uh, Mary's wagon? I don't understand. Why? I mean, the only explanation she's ever given on the show is that last year, there were only two people on the cast that didn't mention that she had a boyfriend, which was Mary and Lisa. And... I think she's just pissed that it was mentioned. And, you know, it's obviously true. She says, spread lies about my family. Well, if it was a lie, you would shrug it off. You wouldn't hold on to it and be so angry. And it was very clear that while they were separated, they probably both saw other people, um, or at least she did. So I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if she has gotten close to Mary and feels like defensive or if she's also just so focused on Jen being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And so, and she knows that these women went into the season plotting against Mary. It's, it's very obvious the things that they keep bringing up, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing if all of these rumors exist and you want to bring them, you know, on screen to talk about fine. But I think she's like, okay, I want to be the person to like stand with her because she never went after me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost makes me buy into Whitney's crazy conspiracy about the um, Mary and Meredith knowing something or having some agreement off camera um, and having some kind of commitment or loyalty and then sticking so hard to this Jen narrative and anything outside of it Meredith just kind of is like, it's going to be Teflon. It's going to slide off of me. I'm not letting this Mary thing stick. Mary's on my side. We've committed to this kind of attack strategy and I'm not letting things take me off course. And she's also letting this like iceberg of Lisa float away from her, like fall (laughs) off and (laughs) float away. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to watch play out because it's so nonsensical. It makes zero sense that Meredith and Mary would truly connect in real life. Right. Real well, life. Meredith and anyone. She doesn't live in the in the city. So she is there, I think, for filming and for Sundance and she's got a shop there, but I don't think her primary residence is in Utah. And so I don't know what relationship she has with these women outside of being coworkers with them. You know? It almost well, feels like she doesn't want to be associated. Like she's almost yes. trying to keep uh identity she, that's different or separate. This like coldness that she won't let them. There's definitely that distance that she's making from Lisa too. very, they they were buddies last season and now she is pulling away and Lisa is like 
left stunned. Yeah, I don't blame her for pulling away from Lisa just because Lisa is so close to Jen. What it seems to me like that Meredith is so upset about is that someone likely Jen was harassing Brooks, not just on Twitter, but via his cell phone and via her cell phone and via some of the other women's cell phone. And these were scary and they were threatening messages. And that just, I think, threw her for a loop. Like, I knew I was going to get hate online. I put myself out there. Yes, he was on the show, but like these messages cross a line and it feels like it's someone who maybe knows something about me. Maybe they know where I live. They know where he lives. It just feels scary. So I think when she got that private investigator that Heather was going to go in on it with her, not necessarily just to because she couldn't afford it or something, but I've heard this from a couple of people that Heather was like also concerned about the messages and they just wanted to figure out where it was coming from. Mm. But I wonder if deep down Heather knew it was Jen and didn't want to find out. And Mary, once it, you know, not Mary, Meredith, once she figured out it was likely Jen, then, you know, she was like, this is an issue. Lisa, you know, I was scared with these messages. It's not just about calling him a twink on Twitter. It's Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. past that. And I think that Mm -hmm. hasn't come across on the show, but it certainly has come across in social media and how Meredith conducts herself in interviews as she talks about being, you know, scared and frightened and feeling that her family was threatened. And I feel like maybe production this season didn't want to even touch that plot line anymore. I feel like production and then the rest of the ladies are like, not, they're like not going to acknowledge that they're moving on to the different plot lines, but Meredith keeps holding on to that. And I don't blame her. I mean, to be scared for your own child's safety and for your own safety, like that is next level terrifying. And I get that she is not, she is not um, a fan of Jen's (laughs) also I find it hysterical every moment that she shows up to an event and she's like I thought I told everyone I don't want Jen to be at events that I'm at and it's like you are contractually obligated to be there woman with the other all of the other cast I think it's so funny how she puts on such a charade about that it's it's just kind of like a nonsense (laughs) thing to like stick out there when it's like we all know you're filming it's just it's weird it's like she's like trying to make a little point and then steps back like okay we're filming it's interesting to me that it seems like on one hand you've got a group of women that are like die hard going after mary that are convinced that she has done something wrong and on the other hand you have Meredith and probably the rest of the cast die hard going after Jen, knowing she has done something wrong. But really, Jen and Mary are quite similar to me in that they've both had leaked audio or video of them berating people and being extremely verbally and in Jen's case, physically abusive as well. So I don't feel like they're that different, you know? I mean, they're different in the you know, the fact that Jen has likely committed crimes and we don't know whether or not Mary has, but in terms of personality and how they treat others. And I think that elicits fear. And it's like, who are you more scared of? And I do think there is a fear of Mary, but it's like, oh, we all are going to go in on Mary. And then with Jen, it's like, are they afraid of Jen or do they know that Jen is really in deep shit? So they're backing off. They're like, okay, this we know how this is going to end, so 
we're not going right. to go as hard on her. They know that Jen is going to be punished and that now they're going to be the punishers of Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone else is already holding Jen accountable. Yeah. And that hasn't happened for Mary yet in the same way. Not yet. We have the next season for that. <laughs> um, so what do you think of Whitney and Heather <laughs> wondering if Mary and Meredith had something to do with Jen's arrest? <laughs> Sorry, I can't I, I can't help but laugh. I'm shaking my head because we I mean, come on. I love how they're kind of like they're trying to like tip off other people that the feds I no, Mary was talking about Jesus. She was talking about Jesus is the one that took care of Jen Shaw. Like that's what you get when you mess with me. She was taking she meant Jesus. She didn't mean that she was like in cahoots with the feds, right? Right. And right. also, like, as Bethany says, you can't play smart and stupid at the same time. And that is what they are trying to do. They, you know, when Whitney was all smart and she was explaining the conspiracy of money laundering and all of this, she really knew what she was talking about. And if she really knew what she was talking about, she would know that this investigation had gone on years and started before they even started filming the show from season one and so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no point in what calling up who like the local fbi office and saying what you know like this was in motion and they Mm -hmm. know that and it Mm -hmm. makes me not trust heather and whitney and think that they're doing something for a storyline rather than like they're trying to move the story along rather than actually this is what they think or they're Mm -hmm. just dumb as fuck like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which one it is, but I'd like to believe they're trying to play smart and stupid at the same time. Yeah, I almost feel like a producer is sitting there like, talk about how do you, how do you think they knew you were at the beauty lab in laser parking lot? Can you guys mm-hmm. make sure you talk about that? And so now they're like trying to come up with a dialogue around it. And it's this big, it's like, no, the feds, the feds were going to find her. The fed, Like, <laughs> it was not like, Oh gosh, Heather tipped off that like we're in the workplace parking lot right now. Come hurry. Oh, she's taking off in a pic. You know, it's like, what are you? I don't know. And I don't like Jen playing dumb either. Like the how would they know we were there? Bitch, you know they're tracking your phone. You got a new number. (laughs) 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 Don't pretend that Meredith Marks has the FBI on speed dial and that they would figure it all out from that like you don't need a close informant to get the kind of data that they got so oh my gosh did you notice in that scene how whitney kept saying the word feel like phil she always says oh my god i do love her speech patterns like love Mm -hmm. they're so good um, speaking of Whitney, which housewife do you think has similar business skills to Whitney? Not necessarily on Salt Lake, but across all of housewives. Oh gosh. I mean, a little bit of Sonia Morgan. Uh-huh. Maybe <gasps> a few. I I mean, I hope the best for what is it? Is it Whitney Rose or Wild Rose? I forget Wild what Rose it is. Beauty. Yeah, but that's like throwing a lot of money in for a rebrand, man. So Maybe next season she'll have a microwave like Sonia did. I don't know. <laughs> the toaster oven is next. I was going to say, I I think she's like a hair above uh, Dr. Wendy on Potomac. 
with the two wick candle. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she reminds me of Cynthia Bailey, where like Ooh. she is pretty and she could have a really good brand, but she's somehow not getting it all together in the right way to be able to capitalize on it. Yes. Because Cynthia had all these businesses, but people would order her sunglasses and never receive them. You know, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. was the Bailey agency actually booking talent or was it just on the show? But yet mm-hmm. she is very pretty to look at, Cynthia. Mm-hmm. Very. And I feel like Whitney's also very pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's but I mean, her cousin's super successful. If Heather has anything to do with it, I feel like put it in her med spa. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, get Heather seems like a really good businesswoman. So I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, if she was smart, if Whitney was smart, she'd tap into Heather. <laughs> I'm sure. Has she said why they're doing the rebranding of Iris and Bo to, like, what's the rationale? Why Why is this occurring? I know it is occurring, but what is the reason? <laughs> My understanding, and this was an interview that Ryan Bailey did with Whitney, was that she had this with a business partner and she bought out the business partner because uh, she wanted to have sole control, like creative control over the company. I think the business partner was the smart business person and she was sort of more of the creative type. And so this allowed her to take total control and then the rebrand really let it be hers. But it felt like mm-hmm. like when when Heather was over and was saying, oh, you know, a month ago you didn't have a logo, you didn't have a gift set, you didn't have an event. I'm like, why not? Why was this less than a month that she came up with a logo? Like what? <laughs> That literally stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, I know how how slow business works. Like if she didn't have a logo a month ago, who is she working with? Because I need to work with that person. Oh, my God. I I mean, just to get my logo for my podcast took multiple weeks. And that was yes. really small. Like, <laughs> yes. You know, that was a small thing to do. So, yeah, branding is a It's whole. like she remembered that filming. It's like she remembered that there was only so much time left to film or like, oh, no, I better make sure they get it done. And I'll call and we'll we'll have this party before this date. And then just kind of um, got on her heels. Yeah. It, just, it seems like this is not a well thought. This should be like a next season thing when it's all ready to go. You know, I could... I could see parallels to Kim Zolciak. Didn't she have her own line as well? Yes. And she w- went to like the whole, like um, she went to like a trade show and looked at different bottles. And so I feel like there's some parallels between those two women too, two business mm-hmm. Bravo women. Oh my gosh. Speaking of um, other, just not well thought out ideas, Jen Shaw's mom digging into her $1 million retirement to support Jen Shaw's defense attorneys. That was rough to watch. What were your kind of takeaways to seeing Jen's mom on camera and just that conversation? Oh my gosh, it made me sick to my stomach. It made me so sad for that mom. And I cannot believe that Jen is taking the money. It's like at her mom's name to the list of victims. Yep. Yeah. Going That's after what the I was- elderly. <laughs> Yeah, totally. There's, you, I just, yeah, it was another victim because like, I, I mean, I hope coach is 
innocent in all of this. And then seeing that footage of her sons and her nephews getting led out of their house with the doorbell footage, you know, with the guns, like that is just horrifying. Like all these people that she did this to, and then her own mother. And I get like, if my kid needed the money, I'd give it up. But again, I hope that they would turn it down. I think Jen should have turned it down. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, you know, my attorneys are scaring the crap out of me. And it's like, because they're trying to tell you how serious this is, and you are clearly not paying attention to what we're telling you. Because one, she continued to film, which is further incriminating, you know, having opportunities to incriminate herself. It's just giving them, you know, more evidence and discovery for the trial for free. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then just like, you know, her behavior on social media and what she posts and stuff like that makes it look like she's not taking it seriously. So I'm sure she's not really listening to her attorneys. And also, I feel like I could be wrong, but I thought, didn't she have to get a new set of attorneys? Like, didn't she have a fallout with what I'm assuming are these like first attorneys? It sounds so familiar. I think you're right. And then did they did they like take her back or was that something else? That they, like, was Erica Girardi. Oh, that was Erica. Yeah, oh, they yeah. fired That's her what I'm thinking and of then. they unfired her. <laughs> this might be a dumb question, but is that $2 million retainer, is that gone regardless of the outcome of the trial? Um, like, is that the attorney's fee no matter what happens? Or do you like get some money back if you win? I don't know how this stuff works. That is a good question. Uh, we should ask the Bravo docket ladies. They have a podcast mm-hmm. about all of the legal matters uh, in the Bravo world. And yeah, I don't know. I would assume that the retainer is just to keep them on for, you know, all those months and years. Um, but who I have knows? a question, too. Like, I want to ask a really rich celebrity. Like, if I was Jen Shaw and I needed money, wouldn't you start, like, pawning off all of your like high crazy designer things in your cars like I feel like mm-hmm. she has definitely the means of all of the assets that she has in shoes and 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 maybe she I know she probably rents a house and all of that but all the other stuff all of the clothes the jewelry there has got to be enough there instead of her mom giving her the money And is it just an image thing? She does not want to get rid of that image because that is a, that'll look guilty in the public opinion. Is that why? I think the image is a house of cards because Koa, the designer had said before that she doesn't own a lot of her stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's borrowed and rented and she makes it look as if she owns all of it, but she actually doesn't, especially the jewelry. And then now we know she doesn't actually own any property. So mm-hmm. that kind of came out where Stuart owned his home, but she didn't own hers. And so then my question is, where? what was she doing with all the money that she was getting? Was she giving it just to family? So it was like, you know, money in and then quickly money out? Or was it, is she storing it somewhere offshore? Like, where is all this money? Mm-hmm. And then maybe she wasn't allowed to sell things i don't know you know oh sure yeah started to try and sell things on poshmark and quickly got shut down (laughs) yes the frozen assets yes you're right you're right i don't like jen jen's narrative that she 
is the one who took care of everyone in her family. Um, when it seems like most people she employed in her family were her assistants to like build up this narcissistic um, kind of inflated ego that she bopped around with. I just feel like it still was all kind of just like feeding her. Um, and I question like the true generosity uh, that was happening there. I don't know. Something about just felt off how she was even talking to her mom about how, she, how Jen is in their family. I It kind of reminded me a little bit of like Luann and the Fortune Society. It's when mm-hmm. she was like, you know, I was in prison and it's like you were in jail for a night. Like that right. is not the same thing as federal prison. And you were treated very differently in the eyes of the law than these women of color that you are saying that you have so much in common with, you know, that was and, cringeworthy and not Truly acknowledging the like yeah. disparity, you know, so it's like she's like, oh, it just, you know. It, it's so important to help, you know, and she says stuff like that. And it's like, Luann, you're doing this to feed your own ego so that you feel mm-hmm. like you're a better person. You're not actually doing it necessarily to help. It, that was sort of my takeaway of it. And I feel like Jen Shaw, like, yeah, she wanted to help her family, but a lot of it was to build her brand and to stroke her ego. And and it's another similarity with Mary because Mary was just going to gonna say all- that. <laughs> Yes, it is totally a reflection of Mary in another way to build her up as this kind of godly deity um, with her family. Because I feel like her assistant or her housekeepers, her second cousin, but yet she doesn't know much about her. And it's just like, what is going on here? Yeah, sure. Linda. And then yes, she Linda. quit as, the, as her housekeeper after season one. She's no longer working for Mary. Oh, wait, was it because of the pandemic, though? I, I forget. Have no idea. Oh, okay. But, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's wild. And with Mary, and this also sort of seems to be a situation with Jen, like with Mary on this episode, she seemed kind of bewildered that she had offended Jenny. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because no one has ever corrected her behavior. She is in a situation in her church where she is above and everyone is below. And so they can't really correct her. And I don't think, I don't know if Robert senior corrects her, but she doesn't seem to ever be told, Hey, like you might want to check yourself the way that the rest of us have bosses. We have partners, Mm -hmm. we have family members that like, will call us out when we do something off. And she doesn't seem to have that. And I think Jen created a situation, a marriage, a relationship with her children where like she couldn't be questioned as well. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's so many similarities between the two of them. Totally. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, Jen seems to get really big in her emotions and kind oh. of fly off the handle. And that coach Shaw kind of um, scoots back and is like, okay, okay, okay. Like kid gloves with you. And then he'll disappear and go to football. Practice. Or whatever he goes to. <laughs> yes. And it seemed to be that that was their pattern, that she could get really big and scary Mm -hmm. and then kind of keep the guys up. Um, Well, and and Whitney has pushed some of Mary's buttons and and Mary will shut her right down. She will not be talked back mm -hmm. to. And you can tell that that is something that she probably how she reacts to people who try to challenge her. And good on Jenny for sticking up for herself. But and, and of course, Mary being Mary. 
she like doesn't get it, but then she like kind of let, we all get a good laugh about the receipt in the shoebox. That was mm. so funny. <laughs> and just yes. the, like the wrong moment for it, but just like so much comic relief there. She's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And I'm like, you get that, but you don't get the other comment. <laughs> like, she's she like, I did a faux pas there, there but, but not. Oh, yes. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Mary, you're like a little Martian sometimes. Mary also gives me like Jax Taylor energy on social media. She mm. has been going after anyone that comments on anything about her not people who have tagging her so she's been searching for her name on twitter and replying to basically everyone who had something to say including i think she told one person to go jump off which i'm assuming she meant like kill yourself i saw that i saw that yes what i mean come on that's dark that's she's dark she's really She's a dark character. It's not very pious either. Like, I don't understand how you you don't practice what you preach. Like, isn't this, isn't going to church all about like loving one another? And I don't know. I'm not a member of her congregation, just of Andy Cohen. So <laughs> I'm a member of that <laughs> congregation as well. But all of us have no problem calling out Andy when he F's up. So That's true. You know, he's not above recourse, so Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. All right. Let's head over to the OC because I actually really liked this episode. I know some people thought it was filler and all of that, but I feel like it's starting to feel like a show. Like we're moving the plot along. I am starting to learn and uncover things that I did not know that I am interested in. And it makes me happy because... I haven't felt that way about the OC in a while. Got to get your thoughts on Heather's threat to Shannon, that if she ever comes for her family again, that it's going to cost her a lot more than friendship. I mean, it was like watching Caroline Manzo part two. And I'm just like, I cringed at last the last you know, 30 seconds of the the previous episode. And then they make us cringe even more when they draw it out for another minute. I just like, I couldn't, I'm like, Heather, this isn't you. You don't need to like do this to another human being. And I know that she, she had a message that she wanted to tell Shannon, but like, it was just over the top dramatic. My God. Yeah. That's how I felt. Overly dramatic, overly rehearsed, like soap opera line, like overly enunciated. Like the delivery was slow. It's just, And it fell so flat to me. Mm -hmm. Just unimpressed with Heather. That she was trying to send a message beyond what Shannon had done. Like, I felt like what what we saw Shannon do, right, on the show, didn't seem to be as big of a grievance as what Heather seems to have. So I'm wondering if, like, Shannon was, or someone was planning to, like, uncover something else in addition about Terry about Terry and his, you know, maybe he's got bad reviews. Maybe he has a lot more lawsuits against him. Like maybe they were trying to kind of open a Pandora's box and she was trying to shut that down. It could be. I I felt like she was almost, I feel like she was almost trying to like give casting directors like a, a glimpse of 
how she could act or something so that she gets more opportunities or something. Like it was like a oh. reel or something that she was trying to like get out there and be like, did you see that one episode where I, I had a soliloquy? Um, I, it was just so, I don't know. It was just so inauthentic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. The whole fight is confusing to me because if Shannon actually set it off camera, not, I don't, I don't think that Gina and Emily are dumb enough to think like, oh, she's planting this with us to then make us bring it up. And we are going to be the fall guys for bringing it up. I feel like either like Nicole is responsible because Nicole should have said something in the friendship a long time ago, or it's almost like Gina and Emily are the ones who actually said it. And do we, I, I just, I'm confused if Shannon actually said it off camera and wasn't trying to do we actually believe that Gina and Emily are dumb enough to get set up when they actually kind of were set up then, or they actually like bit on the hook? I don't know. Or maybe this is, I mean, Shannon routinely does like a la LVP and they were trying to pin it on her, but this doesn't seem to be as big of a grievance. Yeah. It's like how everyone was trying to go after LVP for Poppygate, but really there was like way worse things, but mm-hmm. that just was like what they all the felt thing. as the cast, that that was the thing. But really as mm-hmm. viewers, we're like, actually it was way worse that she told Brandy that Adrian Malouf had a surrogate back in season three, you know? Yeah. So it's so okay, interesting. That makes more sense. Um, let's get into the Dr. Jen versus Noella, because <laughs> this was so funny to me. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. I when okay, so Dr. Jen was like, I want to clear the air with Noella. And like, <laughs> she, she basically says, uh, this is Noella, that Jen, when she met her, was superficial, but strangely too familiar which just makes me laugh because that is exactly how Noella behaves with everyone. The That's moment she steps into a party, she's like, oh my God, I'm a bisexual too. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. Like what? Mm-hmm. Yes. I got to ask Super. you, Samantha, as someone who's trained in clinical social work, what do you make of Noella? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. None of these are, nothing that comes out of my mouth is a diagnosis. But yeah, I just thought that was seemed like major projecting, obviously. And it's hard to tell where substances are involved. Um, and it's a little hard to tease out kind of what, she seems so ready to be there, such poor boundaries, so desperate for camera time. Um, and I do believe she's obviously living her life this way in this like, her even choosing to be on camera is a poor boundary at this point in time. Um, there's obviously a lot there. It's just hard to tell what is what. And I think Mandy, you've said this before. It seems like there's got to be some kind of substance use or something Xanax at some point or the yeah. alcohol. It's, it's hard to tell. Which I don't, what's what. you know, I'm not judging and I certainly don't blame her for if I was in her situation, I would be taking Clonopin every like however many hours you're allowed to take it out of the day and I'd probably mm-hmm. be topping it off with a little bit of wine as well. So I get it. Mm-hmm. But I just know that look, you know, and someone's like when they're on a benzodiazepine, like there's a face mm-hmm. that someone makes. At least there's a face I make if I ever take something like that. And, you know, usually you have the wherewithal, or at least I try to, to know, okay, I shouldn't be doing anything else. Like, you know, I just took this for a panic attack and now I'm just going to ride it out. <laughs> 
you know? Mm-hmm. But she seems to like ride straight into filming and into drinking and into conversations. And it seems like she didn't seem like this during the first few weeks. It seems to be she's in a crisis situation with her marriage and with her child. And she's trying to get through it the best way she knows how. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like how Dr. Jen went into it thinking that she was going to like put her foot down and then she just gets reamed out and humiliated. I was so embarrassed for Dr. Jen, but yeah. she just, Noella just kind of owned her. She did, but it was like, I didn't think anything she was saying made sense. So as a viewer, I was like, okay, this is really weird because all the stuff that she's upset with Dr. Jen for is stuff that I think Noella does like on purpose that I don't think Dr. Jen ever would do on purpose. So tagging herself in a poorly lit photo, like thinking her patients, you know. What was that all about, though? What was that? Like, Jen (laughs) never said whether she said what she she kind I don't know if I believe her that it was a mistake. That's a weird mistake to make by tagging Noella on a random photo. I I was wondering if she tagged like the whole cast. Or if anyone she's ever done Botox or fillers for. Oh, sure. Right? And, you know, Noella says, well, I work exclusively with a certain med spa I have for years, and I had to report this to Instagram to have it removed. All you have to do is reach out to Dr. Jen and say, hey, could you untag me? Mm -hmm. That's all she had to do, but she's so dramatic that she has to make a big deal out of everything. Like, she's... She's someone who drama follows her, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you guys watched yeah. The Housewives of Miami, like the old ones? I, oh, I'm just starting the new season. So I am, I'm just going from the beginning. And so I'm in the middle of season two. And um, there's certain people on the show, like Adriana, who I feel like their life is a soap opera. But that's because they're attracting that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, Noella is attracting she thrives on it she thrives off of this drama and and then being filmed and and then knowing people are going to watch and view her as a victim like she's getting off on it totally it's creepy yeah yeah that sounds kind of like borderline characteristics or histrionic yeah psychology world yeah histrionic actually was sort of what i was thinking well both but like Mm -hmm. They also have unusual sexual boundaries sometimes where you, like, do things knowing, like, to to try and and then get very upset when you don't get what you want out of the sexual relationship that you, like, thought you were going to get. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just makes me uncomfortable. But um, Noella telling Dr. Jen she's thirsty and needs lemonade is bizarre. (laughs) But what I really want to know more about is this conversation that happened at Bronwyn's house when Noella said – her God is Tom Ford, and Dr. Jen, who I presume is religious, was offended by that, which I find funny. <laughs> yeah, that was so random and just seemed like very off camera and like, wait, what? Who? And so Dr. Jen, yeah, like you're saying, must be religious. And then the Tom Ford thing was like a dig at Christianity. I guess. I guess. I, I, I yeah, I don't even like how even as a religious person would you really take that to offense with people talking about like fashion like that she's dr jen is in like the industry she knows that people talk that way i just don't understand how she could just latch on to that little thing 
I'm sure it was said in a way that was kind of demeaning to anyone that is religious, potentially. Like I could see it being said in a way like someone saying, oh, you know, I, I'm i religious or I believe in this. And she's like, well, whatever. Like, it's stupid. My God is Tom Ford. Like, oh, like, okay. I, I thought it, it was just said. off the cuff. Like, oh, my God, Tom Ford is God, you know, or like Taylor Swift <laughs> is God, you it's, know. It's, <laughs> who knows? But I could see both sides to that. Like, obviously, I am more on Noella's side with like, this is like a ridiculous comment and you like people shouldn't find it offensive or you shouldn't people need to get over it. But I feel Um, like all of this, there's so much that's unsaid and so much that was chopped in the editing because they don't want it to constantly go back to Bronwyn. But Bronwyn (laughs) is what ties them all together. And it seems to be kind of hard for them to like explain what their issues are with each other in the absence of mentioning Bronwyn's name. Did we know Noella when Bronwyn was on OC? Barely. Was she on? She was. Okay. She was she was, a girlfriend or just a friend? She was like, this is my friend Noella. She's like hanging out with me while I'm sober. Okay. Like, but for those of us who followed Bronwyn on social media last year, it was her and Noella jetting off places. Like, it was like, who is this woman? Why is this your new best friend? Like, why is she everywhere in every photo with you? You know, it just seemed a little weird. And then other people have said, oh, Noella tried to befriend Vicky first to get on the cast. And when that didn't work, she befriended Bronwyn. Like she was angling to be on the show. And, and and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like Jennifer Aiden, we've heard, you know, built that house in Paramus to get on The Real Housewives of New Jersey because she had been trying for a while. And she's a fantastic cast member. So... Noella could be fantastic. I just think maybe maybe some of her personality characteristics are going to come back to bite her in the ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if Bronwyn was here, that might help Dr. Jen and Noella make a little more sense in this merging on point. Yeah, and then at, at the end of the episode, when... Dr. Jen has Emily, Gina, Nicole over, and she they all talk about how they're confused by Noella, and Dr. Jen goes as far to say as maybe her marriage was fake. There is some truth to what she's saying. Her, mm-hmm. her marriage yeah. was not fake, but she did have a fake wedding ceremony that did not have legal marital implications in 2017. They got legally married in 2020, but she was behaving as if she was married for three years prior to being legally married. And he was legally married to his ex-wife, and neither one of them had filed for divorce at the time that Noella and Sweet James had a wedding ceremony. Okay, well, I could see how that would be confusing for Dr. Jen. (laughs) Poor gal. Right? There was some truth to what she was saying, because I was like, she's not taking the high road. She's starting all of these random rumors and trying to get Gina and Emily on our side. And I'm like, don't do it, Dr. Jen. But like, yeah, that is confusing. Yeah, I went through it maybe two weeks ago where I was like, this is like what happened. So like in 2017, James is still married to his wife of 18 years. No one has filed for legal separation or divorce. He is with Noella. He apparently met her while like she was his mistress and he had other mistresses. And then they had a basically fake wedding ceremony. He took out money from his firm and then went on a extravagant honeymoon with her all over the world, oh, jet setting. 
And this As is one all does. on their Instagram. You can like see. And then the receipts are there. At some point he gets legally divorced. And then they have a legal marriage during COVID in the summer of 2020. And so that's, you know, Emily and Emily is totally right to say there's no way he could serve papers to divorce her if they're not legally married. But I think Dr. Jen is trying to point out inconsistencies in Noella's story and isn't doing a great job of explaining it Mm -hmm. from beginning to end in the timeline. Mm -hmm. They should get her husband to explain it without (laughs) his shirt on. (laughs) Do you think he's cute? I mean, compared to some of the other husbands, yeah. Fair. That's a good way to put it. Speaking of some of the other husbands, like how did you feel about Shane's party and Shane and Emily's relationship? They are such an odd couple, but have (laughs) grown on me. And he's just a little rascal that, I don't know, his little snarky kind of dry sense of humor. There's something I like about it now. And I wish I didn't know some of her political stuff. Um, Because once that's in your brain, it's kind of like, oof. Some of it lands differently, but he's grown on me a lot. I totally agree. Yeah, same. And I never thought it would happen. I never thought it would happen. He was such an a-hole in the past seasons. And now I feel like I know him better and I get his humor. Like he's just super sarcastic and dry and not serious, but still super immature. (laughs) Yes, very. I just find his whole story so fascinating Like, he's Persian. His family is Persian. But then he converted to being Mormon, but no one else in his family is Mormon. And I just find that really unique. And I'm interested in it. And then he, Mm -hmm. as a Mormon, as a practicing Mormon, chose to marry someone who is not Mormon. And after watching Salt Lake City and what we know about marriage and the church, it's like, wait, how... How is right. This, how does this work? Yeah. How is it, yeah right because he's divorced and he has two kids from a previous marriage, right? Yeah, yeah. Are there many Mormon people in Orange County? I feel like there's pockets of Mormons everywhere, just because I don't know they do a really good job of proselytizing and converting people, <laughs> you know. So I feel like there's. I mean. I grew up, we, we all grew up in Minnesota. In Plymouth, there was a few Mormon families that went to my high school and they all, like, I knew who was, they were all, because they were all cousins. And mm. I remember, like, they would wear cap sleeves for, like, school dances and they had, like, family meeting and they would do Bible study and they all were, like, into sports and were very, like, clean cut. But mm-hmm. I don't really... I don't know. It didn't seem that extreme to me. Yeah. But also maybe like there's something about, and one of my friends in high school did say it's different in Utah. Like it's just different there versus being a Mormon in Minnesota or even a Mormon in a different state. And so she went to BYU, Idaho, but not BYU in Utah because she wanted to go to a Mormon school, but like BYU in Utah just felt a little like too much. Mm. We, I went to um, visit Salt Lake city merely because I wanted to see the beauty lab parking lot, but I will say we got there on a Thursday <laughs> Wait, and it was, yeah, like November what? I was there. Oh my 
my god yes <laughs> I, went, yep. I definitely me and um me and three other girlfriends were like trying to figure out where to go and I was like well Salt Lake City looks beautiful and so we we drove or we flew into Park Valley and um or Park City no, we flew into Salt Lake City. Yes. And I was like, well, you guys, Beauty Lab is literally like 10 minutes away. So we went, we went into the parking lot. We saw where it all went down. We did some funny TikToks. And then I'm mm-hmm. sure they get this a lot because like all of the staff was just kind of watching us from the window and just kind of, <laughs> we were kind of waiting to, because we tagged Heather to be like, hey, we're here. And she never came out because I don't think she was there. But um, I'm sure they get that all the time. And then we even tried to like book an appointment to see if like, oh, my Maybe God. we can go in. I know we were like hardcore, but I digress. My point is about Utah and Mormonism is we got there on a Thursday and, you know, this is like a girl's trip. We wanted to get wine drunk and all of their liquor stores were closed because it was Veterans Day on a Thursday. We could not buy any alcohol all day. And so we found workarounds because heaven forbid we were women that needed a a beverage um but yeah mm-hmm. and every time we would be like will you sell us alcohol they're not like they said no welcome to utah so oh it is next level there and okay and also i will say we did go to meredith mark's shop okay and um there was very little there um it was mostly i would say maybe just like 20 items of clothing but right when we got in there the saleswoman said all the jewelry is at um a show in new york and so we because obviously meredith wasn't there we were like oh darn that's what we came in to see (laughs) is the jewelry gonna be back tomorrow (laughs) aka is meredith gonna be in here tomorrow and she's like no all weekends it's gonna be gone so um so that you know that was as expected i had low expectations so Oh my God, that sounds so fun though. I really like, I want to go to Utah, but I would probably try and book an appointment in advance at Beauty Lab and Laser. I don't know what I would get done because mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. into fillers, but they, there has I mean, to they be had some... some sort of like facial or. Yes. Yeah. There was something basic that we were like, well, if it's available, we'll, we'll just do that. That was reasonable, but it was not available. So yes, you should definitely book ahead. <laughs> this is so fun though. That's exactly what I would do. I love that kind of stuff. Um, when me and some of the local DC, Maryland podcasters got together, we went to the winery where Monique and Candace got into it on uh, last oh. season of Potomac and we recreated the fight <laughs> in the Thank in God. the barn. And I have it on my Instagram. Uh, it was so fun, but you know, people, the staff there were like, Oh, are you here to see where the fight was? And did, you know, and they said that Duh. it wasn't as common this year, but then the year before it was like a lot more people were coming. But I'm glad that they're getting business from mm-hmm. people who watch these, you know, silly shows and just want to be part of history. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I know. I feel a little bit embarrassed because people are like, did you literally go there because of the show? And I'm like, well, it definitely helped sell it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we didn't go just to like follow their footsteps, but it was it really was a lovely town. I will say that it was and the people there were very kind, um, just not as boozed up as I would prefer. I mean, it is a Delta hub. So it's probably, oh, you know, easy it was to so get a flight there, there from, from Minneapolis. Minnesota. Yes. Yes, it was. 
Um, Maybe you can go to Sur- Surrey County on your next girls trip. Oh my God. At how far that is from DC and it's a little bit under three hours. Uh, but I looked at That's places doable. to stay there like overnight and I was like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> kind of <Yeah>. stuck. <laughs> no, there's just not a whole lot there, but I do feel mm-hmm. like I would want to go, especially if Karen was going to be at any sort of parade, yes. even if it's like a parade of 200 <laughs> yeah. people. Yes. I love that, you It'd know, but there's not the a whole crowd. lot to like yeah. see, you know, yeah. Anyways, um, okay, so we got to see Shannon and her dad. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, we met her dad last season. You know, we see her her dad basically saying he wants to spend more time with her. Sophie's got a boyfriend now. It's just, is it just me or does Shannon seem so uncomfortable in her family scenes? Yes. What is with their dynamic? It was so formal and I feel like, Shannon's face is always in this like thunderstruck or like confounded look and she maybe she's Mm -hmm. because she's used to being on the defense so much and so everything that is told to her she takes so personally but she's like always in like the stance that she's going to be put into battle almost and it was such a formal I guess my family is just nothing like that we would never act that way with one another but the kids did seem like normal and like they were trying which I thought was so delightful they seem like really sweet kids I feel Mm -hmm. bad I feel like they're trying to be part of her storyline and do confessionals so that that's part of like her package on the show because she doesn't have a partner that's willing to do that you know it seems like John is taking a step back so I thought that was was interesting but I made a note and I, <laughs> I want to get Samantha's uh, professional view on this. Which oh, is, God. <laughs> I said, it seems like her dad wasn't around much growing up. And maybe that's why she always goes for men who are emotionally unavailable to to her. I think that's a great <laughs> hypothesis. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Kind of copy and paste. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Sh- Shannon is still so defined by the divorce and her mm-hmm. ex-husband. It's just, it's kind of painful. Um, even when she was in a confessional or something with, is it John? Is that her new one? Yes. Mm-hmm. John. And she said, well, I've never had, I've, I've never had a relationship like this where I can trust someone like, or I can lean on them for support in this way. And I've never had this before. Like even framing him in the, in the light of, the past, like I've never had this before. It's like, oh man. Um, and then at that dinner uh, or the lunch or whatever, she was at with her father and the girls. I don't know if it came up there, if it was in the scene for the or the preview for the next episode, but how her daughters pretty frequently bring up, um, well, now I'm in like the now I'm in a relationship uh, like I never saw at home. I think oh, Sophie said yeah. that. And the girls are very frequently kind of bringing up the divorce or the damage or, well, I messed them up or the Reiki, Reiki therapist is saying that. And I can't tell if that's genuine or if maybe that's a very powerful thing to say in their family system that always kind of puts Shannon on her heels and drives this kind of bizarre, like you're saying, thunderstruck look. Um, and Shannon's just always 
trying to make up for lost time and I was doing the wrong thing. And uh, just has a very, <laughs> excuse me, like weird energy. <clears throat> and then, or I was wondering if it's oh, another way of them <clears throat> trying to get back at David, like trying to keep the oh. little digs and the little bringing up the divorce as like their way of, of saying like, you sucked at, or we remember there's, you fucked up so big. We're, mm. we're still feeling it. Like, and all of us aren't forgetting what you did here. I don't know if it's kind of their a group mentality around that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I do notice a difference this season versus a few seasons back where the daughters never wanted to say anything negative about their dad on camera. Like that came across that they would still see him. And, you know, I think when he had another baby, uh, Shannon gave them a gift to give to the new wife and and, and new mom, right? And mm-hmm. it was just like they're like in the middle and it's like so awkward, you know, it, and now it seems like maybe I don't know if they've they're not on be- as good of terms with their dad or what or if it's just like, hey, we're just stating a fact you guys were in a loveless marriage and we had mm-hmm. to witness a lot of discomfort for the majority of our childhood, <laughs> you know, like maybe yeah. they're just stating a fact and they don't feel like it's a dig at their dad. It's just like what the relationship was between their mom and their dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But usually at, in like childhood and even teen years, I feel like you're like a fish swimming in water. Like you don't even know your family system is different or you can't even have like the sense of this was bad or whatever until you're really out of it. Or I think that's like a late adolescence or I would say like Sophie being in college could have perspective on it, but it's unique to see those younger teen girls bringing it up. Yeah. Well, Sophie's 20 and I feel like that was her, she's probably like in college and now seeing how other parents are with their kids mm-hmm. and other relationships. And now she's, she's able getting to say, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I saw with you guys was, not very loving, <laughs> you know, yeah. and probably and seeing it play out probably on television. <laughs> that's an exposure level that no one else has no other adolescents, right? See their parents do that on national television. Mm-hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. And I didn't really know a whole lot about like my family dynamic until you leave and you learn about other families and how they react to each other. And you know, and you're like, okay, maybe mine's not as weird as I thought. <laughs> 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 um, okay. I think the only other question I think I had for you guys was, okay, too. What do you make of Noella and Shannon's friendship and then versus Gina and Heather's friendship? Because these are two <laughs> friendships they're trying to like sell us on, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like Shannon's just trying to get her footing in and trying to, I think she might've come into the season thinking that her and Heather were going to be besties. And now she's just kind of grasping at straws, trying to, you know, befriend anybody that will listen to her bullshit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like she's just, I feel like Noella is kind of a life raft for her and she'll take what she can get, I guess. Is that horrible to say? I mean, it looks like it when the two of them are on camera. Like, they have no chemistry, like, friendship chemistry chemistry. whatsoever. (laughs) It is so weird to watch. Yes. It's not natural. No. And Noella, who I think is really good at faking stuff, 
Like, <laughs> you can just see it on her face. Like, this isn't the person that I ideally would spend my yeah. time with, but mm-hmm. I'm doing it for strategic reasons. Yes. Well, and then I think Heather and Gina are just like, I, so I love Gina. Gina is like one of us who just happens to be in this crazy lifestyle, but like she keeps it real. So I just love experiencing Heather's lifestyle through Gina. I feel like that is such a beautiful glimpse for all of us to see because you can tell that Gina's kind of like, we're at like a horse race, but then you see her get into it because you can't help but be swept up into Heather's lifestyle. I I think, I think it'll be interesting to see because I feel like Heather's more of the matriarch of the relationship. It'll be interesting to see if Gina needs to like speak up for herself when it comes to their, to their dynamic. I feel like Gina's never had a difficult time speaking up for herself in friendships. Like she stood up to Emily when she felt like Emily Mm -hmm. was trying to expect too much of her. You Mm -hmm. know, she stood up to Bronwyn when she felt like Bronwyn overstepped, you know? So I feel like, I don't know. I feel like she's not actually afraid of anyone, especially. I don't think she'd be afraid of Heather. I just feel, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like that's a different dynamic and maybe it's just because Heather's a little afraid, a little scary with her like tight little ponytail. Oh, right? God. It does look <laughs> She's like, a little frightening. She it's looks aggressive. kind of frightening. Like she has an aggressive yeah. look, especially when yes. her hair is pulled back. When it's down, yes. she doesn't have that look. But when it's pulled back, mm-hmm. it's like it's just a she seems much. so tightly wound. Yes. Yes. It is mm-hmm. like a representation of what's going on inside that is now outside for all of us to see. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would be really stressful being Heather. I mean, can you imagine the upkeep of that mall that she lives in? I know you have staff, but like, although I will say, I know we're a little off topic, but to see her talk to her four kids, um, I thought that was a lovely little piece that they put in there because that really did seem genuine. The kids really did seem like they weren't even acting and they it just seemed natural. And I was like, okay, I really liked that part. I think she's probably a lovely mother. I think her and Terry are a true partnership, like through mm-hmm. and through. They make decisions together. They mm-hmm. are a team that I think genuinely enjoy each other's company, as weird as they are. Um, yes. And But how she seems to want to live her life and the level of perfection she seems to always be trying to attain for herself. I don't think she expects other people like mm-hmm. her kids don't have perfect hair and perfect, like everything in place. Like they don't seem to be like that, but for her, it seems almost like an obsession or a compulsion to have everything in place, every hair in place. Mm-hmm. My clothes have to be perfectly ironed and fit me perfectly. I cannot gain three pounds or I won't be able to I drink champagne. Yeah. I only <laughs> well, drink do you this, think, you know, I feel like it might've gotten worse with her coming back. I feel like she knew what it was going to be like. And she had, she had, I think a lot to prove coming back that she was going to, I feel like she's like the matriarch of the cast right now. And she knew she had to come in like absolutely spotless. She was perfect. And that is how she's going to roll. Yeah. It just seems exhausting. <laughs> like, oh my I gosh. don't know. I could never live like where I always had to attain a perfect look. Like even when she had no makeup mm-hmm. on, Mm-hmm. It felt like it was all in place. Mm-hmm. I'd never look like that. No. <laughs> like, no. 
know. Like ever. Like I don't know if I've ever had every single hair in place or my outfit perfectly ironed or perfectly fit or anything. Like I've just never and I've never tried. So I don't Right. You've never had that need to yeah. fulfill. Yeah, I don't know. I'm fine. Especially with COVID, I've gotten more comfortable just being like, oh, yeah, I just like <laughs> jumping on a Zoom with you guys and being like, yeah, so I just like did a Peloton and didn't shower. <laughs> like, <Yeah. whatevs. laughs> I'll shower eventually. <laughs> That's authentic and normal. Yeah. You know, so I would say I would like less scenes of her bouncing on Terry's lap because I feel like we got two scenes this last episode and where she's just j- bouncing excitedly on his lap. And so, you know what? I just I just don't need to see it. The only thing I can envision now is the story that Kyle told about her and Mauricio having sex at a black oh, tie God. event when she was on his lap. She told the story on Ultimate Girls Trip. Oh, and now I just like yes. anytime I see Heather on Terry's lap, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, what are they doing? Like, I don't want to I know. know. I know. Mm-hmm. And do they know that that's what they look like? I, I think they don't know that that's what they look like. But I, I think know. they're the kind of couple that would watch back and be like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree that I think Gina is one of the better things to happen to Heather's on screen presence. She just makes it look like, oh, like she's in awe and it's fun and it kind of brings the viewer into the glitz and glamour in a way that isn't like off putting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do seem to have like a genuine connection, like what Shannon had with Vicky when Shannon first started. Mm -hmm. That was the first new person that Vicky liked. And they just immediately connected. Yeah, there's something fun about Gina that um, she can kind of, that Heather's kind of scoops Gina up and they can kind of do their thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I need to ask Samantha just a few questions about Vanderpump Rules because I know you are up to date with it. And Mitra, you're kind of I, off the sadly, <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, None of apologies. us fault you for at this point. <laughs> okay. Brock. Red flags. Like, what do you think of the, his idea of proposing or getting married at the same venue that James and Raquel are hosting their engagement party at? Well, I think that's obviously a terribly tacky, <laughs> unbelievable choice. Um, and that Sheena's just like totally along for the ride. And I have um, some sympathy for perhaps the financial elements of it and what he's probably caught up in and trying to create and do for Sheena and the show and just probably is very uncertain how to pull it off. Um, but this is a nonsense plan and someone should really help him not do it. Um, but it will make great TV next week, I think. Ariana did say on social media that what we don't know is that there was like a seven to day, seven to 10 day shutdown of production because someone tested positive for COVID at Sir. It was not a cast member. Um, or maybe it was Charlie because we haven't seen her, but. Um, yeah, I was going to say she wasn't on. Yeah, I don't know who it was, but it was enough that production shut down. And so it shortened the time that they would have had to do a 
engagement and wedding. And so like Brock was constantly looking for a time and it was like running out. And I think he wanted to do it as part of the show and on camera. And so he was like, okay, I'm running out of time. Let me see if I can do it at this place or that place. And that's why it comes across like a little eager and different than maybe what his intention was. Does that That's make sense at all? Context, yeah, that that is helpful. It's like he was so trying to bizarre that there's no other scenario, or even just at their house, or like over, like anything else would seem more appropriate than someone else's engagement party. Yes, I 100 percent agree. Um, so, so do you agree with Brian Moylan, who said that Brock is the sole conductor on the bad idea train? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Choo-choo. Well, I think Sheena's, like, in the back, you know, shoveling she's coal. She's engine going. Yeah, she's she's helping that train get to the next stop at the station. Um, yeah, I felt they, bad about the, like, how much the ring costs and him splitting it on three credit cards. And I know that he said he doesn't have good credit in the U.S. yet because he hasn't lived here long enough to, like, build up credit. But... Mm-hmm part of me is like he keeps mentioning that he just started paying child support and like it's a lot of money so if you owe that like why wouldn't that be the first thing you spend money on and then the ring be something that you work up to you know yeah Mm -hmm. that seems like a decision that he and sheena should make differently together for their family and for his other kids right wouldn't be the priority because in the u.s it's different like if you i think get divorced in the u.s and you owe child support and you get a job the government can deduct from your paycheck child support Mm -hmm. if you owe it especially Mm -hmm. if you have back owed child support i know that his family's in australia and he's here and so maybe the legal recourse to get that money is not quite available to his ex-wife so I do feel for her and she doesn't really have you know a platform or anything like that to share her side of the story either but I feel like Sheena is just trying so hard to make Brock like the perfect thing that had ever happened to her and the audience just isn't buying it which I don't think he's as bad as people think, but I don't certainly don't think she's he's as good as she's trying to paint him to be. Uh, yes, I agree with that 100%. And now they have a kid and it's just a whole another level of yes. commitment. And this is real and beyond a reality show. And this is this is for life. And then um, final question, James Kennedy clearly has some sort of dependency on marijuana, um, which he seems other people seem to find to be a problem and are constantly telling him that maybe it's a problem. What do you think of that whole, like, I don't know, situation and and storyline of his, you know, being sober off of alcohol, but not sober. And then the second that he tries to do it, he's Mm -hmm. like, I can't, (laughs) we just had a shutdown due to COVID. There was nothing else to do. Like, especially as someone who was like a trained clinical social worker, like, how would you advise someone who was having that issue? Yeah, I think that that would be if it's, if it's a daily thing in your life, and you're needing it to function, and you've chosen sobriety and other chemicals in your life, I would definitely recommend working with a chemical dependency counselor getting an assessment. And it sounds like sobriety is a life path that 
could be a really good fit for him. Um, and obviously there are things to work through of why marijuana especially is so hard to stop. And he, he seems like he has just such intense feelings um, and is so up and down. He seems to me like someone who could really benefit from individual therapy like three days a week. Like he could use some intensive, regular support um, just to work through these things. Cause I think he's done some pretty beautiful work already. And I'm very moved by some of the things that have happened with his mom and just, he's had a lot of very painful things happen in his life. And when he was sharing some of how much he's supported his family financially um, and just that he's still trying to DJ while being sober, I just feel like that's even just a unique lifestyle choice um, and just a way to live that would be hard. Um, Yeah. So I applaud him in a lot of ways and I've been inspired by him. And at the same time, like there's so much work to do and you can just feel how raw his emotions are and how big they get. And then obviously what's happened with Raquel, I'm very anxious to see like, Oh no, like what is that meant for each of them? And how is he coping with that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I really like James Kennedy. I feel like he's so fun to watch on the show, but there is this fine line between his snark and it like crossing into darkness And the Mm -hmm. snark is funny. Like if he's making fun of somebody else for something that we all think is worthy of joking about. But then when he gets a few steps farther and he used to blame it on alcohol, he kind of can't blame it on alcohol anymore. It's sort of who he is, is Mm -hmm. trying to sometimes be mean to people. Trying to hurt. Trying to hurt. And And that's not as fun to watch either, you know? No, like what he did to Max, uh, Lisa's son. Yeah, like that, exactly. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I Um. felt that. I I don't know. The show is so interesting to me, and this season has been, I agree, like tough in many ways in the, the producer element, the scripted scenes, the Tom and the Tom of it all. I just... I just feel like the audience is smarter than that and we need better characters um, and better character connections. And I think the magic of the show happened with people that couldn't be held to some scripted or produced show. And when it overflowed, like the, the Jacks and the Stasi elements, like those people that are living their lives so out loud, it goes beyond <laughs> what happens when you show up to film a scene. Um, and that was the magic of Vanderpump. And I think James still has some of it and it's like, it's missing. Maybe Lala has some of it, but now that she's sober, I think, and she's just in a different wheelhouse now. Um, I almost think she needs to transition to the housewives, but it's just like Vanderpump needs some of that magic and that spark back and to find it again, because it's lost. I know. I just feel like we as the audience that have stood by this show for nine seasons now, we deserve to have the fourth wall broken. Like we, mm-hmm. you, they owe it to us as viewers to make the show about the arguments about the show because we know that's all that they fight about. And that's what I want to see. What are they fighting about? It's about, okay, so they fired Jax and Brittany and Stasi and Kristen. Like, let's see the fallout for that. Mm. Let's see, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we're not going to be as interesting because we're all, you know, domesticated and living in the valley. Like, let's argue mm-hmm. about it. Or, oh, Lala's just going after to get screen time. Like, let's 
Like that would be an interesting show because we know that that is what they're all mm-hmm. talking about, you know? Well, that's the yeah, stuff almost- we want to look for. Like while we're watching the show, you're looking at their Instagram and you're looking at the comments that they're making. You're trying to piece together what is actually going on behind the scenes. That's what we want. Yes. And we deserve it. Like we, we're smarter. We know when you're tell you're focusing on something and that's not the real fight. Like mm-hmm. with the Brandy and Denise hookup, like we know that they weren't that upset about Denise. I don't know, hooking up with Brandy. We know they were pissed because Denise was making more money than them and wasn't showing up for her part of filming in the way that mm-hmm. they felt that she should. So, you know, I loved when they had the Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo. They should have gone a little bit farther by being like, Denise isn't showing up. Like Mm -hmm. she is, you know, keeps trying to interrupt scenes as if we're filming an actual like scripted show and it's really annoying and Mm -hmm. we're sick of it and we think she's phony. Like just Mm -hmm. let them say it, you know? Yes. Because then we understand why Lisa Rinna is so pissed and is like, you know, I put your name in here. I I got you on the show and now you're lying and won't show your real life. You know, like, let's see that. That's what, that's what I want so bad. And whenever we do get that like fourth wall break, like especially on Salt Lake when Jen was indicted and they're like on that van and they can't escape and we have to get all of their real and raw and honest reactions that was the best TV because they couldn't like plan what they were going to say in advance. Mm-hmm. And it was truly about what was happening in the moment. They were totally in crisis. They were authentic. And I feel like we all waited for that when um, the season was premiering. And I think now we're all kind of like, it's that was the peak. And now we're kind of back into that normal housewife um, material, but we loved that like authentic, real moment of where they they weren't planning their plot lines. Like this was like brand new information, and we got to see them and how they react. And especially that dinner that they had when they were like, "Okay, let's talk about it," and they mm-hmm. all brought up the things that they either said to each other off camera, but weren't saying on camera and weren't mm-hmm. saying to everyone. Like, hey. I've been getting threatening messages. I looked into it. It seems like it's her. Oh, I got her an Uber and she got out after a few blocks. And I don't know where she went. Like, we want to hear this. We know that they talk about stuff and don't share it on camera. And Mm -hmm. what's so amazing about these women is that they don't seem to, like, have loyalty to each other. So they're constantly throwing each other on the bus, which is fascinating and interesting. But we, I don't know. I feel like Bravo Mm -hmm. needs to stop holding on to the not breaking of the fourth wall. Like it's 2022. We're Mm -hmm. year three of a pandemic. We fucking deserve it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I agree. Well, I think that's why I like Below Deck. Do you watch Below Deck? Because I think that's why I like Below Deck so much is they literally are doing the job and we are seeing their authentic reactions of when they are in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's the most popular show on Bravo, or it used to be. I stopped so watching Bravo knows how- when oh. Kate wasn't on anymore. It just like okay. wasn't as fun for me. Sure. There's something about her that was just She is a magical unicorn. But yes. But like they know how to do it. I mean yep. it is more inherent being working on a boat, but yes. I agree. Give the people what they want. 
give the people what they want. Well, thank you guys so much. I've kept you way past when I said I would. Um, Please tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your books and anything else you want to say about your books. My book is online anywhere books are available. Amazon has it. Let's support Jeff Bezos and getting to the moon for maybe 11 (laughs) minutes this time or whatever he feels like doing. Um, And I'm on Instagram at my name, Samantha Specks, S-P-E-C-K-S on Facebook. So yeah, friend me. I would love to connect. Yeah. And I, my novel is called All the Blues Come Through and it's by Mitra Ferrari. Um, Super American name there. Um, (laughs) No, I'm Persian. Uh, But yeah, my Instagram handle is nice two with the number two, Mecha, M-E-E-C-H-A. And I'm an outfluencer. I do what was once in with the influencers and I do it now. I'm an outfluencer. So I let, I do lots of funny things on there. At least my husband thinks it's funny. Um, so yeah, come and follow me on my, my journey to being an outfluencer. Oh my gosh. I will definitely link to your websites and where to purchase your books in the show notes. So everyone, you know, support your local bookstore or support Jeff Bezos, but definitely um, order these books because they are fantastic. Thank you guys so much for being on. We're going to have to connect when I'm in Minnesota next. Yes. Thank Thank you, you, Mandy. Mandy.